I said to the Lord, Lord, what would you like for tonight? Because we can do pretty much anything. We're free agents. And I have nothing on my heart. And my mind is empty. <laughs> so I have nothing going on upstairs. The balls are rolling around. I have no idea. We could start a brand new 48-part series like we enjoy doing on Wednesday night. And I uh, know Taylor especially likes it. If it's over 40 parts, he gets very excited. <laughs> but I heard the Holy Ghost say to me, I want you to do part two on the blood. So I'm going to do a little bit more and I'll teach a little bit more than I taught the first Sunday of the, of, the, of the year, the first Wednesday of the year, which was the first. And if you listened, which many of you probably didn't, but if you listened to the Thursday night, when Pastor Nancy asked me to preach at the camp meeting, I shared a little bit about the blood and I shared a little bit. The last part of the sermon was what I shared here, but the first part of the sermon from Genesis 15, I didn't share here. I shared Leviticus 14. If you remember about the two birds and all that stuff, I shared that here, but I didn't really share Genesis 15. And so I'd like to, um, uh, I'd like to share a little bit more about that. And because, you know, Pastor Nancy is like Jesus with a skirt on kind of thing. You know what I mean? <laughs> You know what I mean? I mean, she's, she's just so beautiful and perfect, but she's also extremely intimidating. And, and, and you don't want to say one wrong thing because you can just see the prophet's eyes goring into you. No, not that she's doing that in a negative way, but you know, you watch your P's and Q's and that's a healthy attitude to have. So maybe I'm not quite as free when I, you know what I'm saying? I don't maybe take as many liberties, don't maybe say as many jokes. Um, that kind of stuff, Reverend Greg. Uh, and so the, the result of that is I'm a little bit more, uh, I'm, not, I'm not nervous, but I just, uh, I, I want to I accomplish what my purpose is and I don't deviate as easily. Do you understand? And so um, as a result, I didn't really share there everything I could have shared about Genesis 15. And, and I felt the Lord prompt me and say, because you're a little bit more, got more time and you're a bit more relaxed. Uh, why don't you just, he prompted me, just share, not just what I shared there, but share a little bit deeper about some of the symbolism of what Genesis 15 means, because I really want you to try to catch this, because if you catch this, uh, you've heard a little bit of what I said before, but if you catch this, I'm telling you, mm, I'm telling you, you never have to come up to a healing line for the rest of your life. I'm serious. If you catch what this really means, it'll, it'll set you free. Uh, you'll receive healing in your seat. You'll receive healing when you're just living your regular life. Uh, finances will turn. Your faith for protection will explode. Uh, because it's all based on the fact that we're not alone in this life. That's why Jesus was called Emmanuel, because the very concept of him coming is God with us. God's with us. We're not alone anymore. Before we were alone in the world, but God has come and he is with us now. And that is because of the covenant. So Genesis 15, if you wouldn't, if you'd be so kind and you'd, you'd turn there with me. Thank you for coming to church this evening. Genesis chapter 15. After these things, the word of the Lord, verse 1, came to Abram in a vision saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abraham said... Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, Behold to me, thou hast. And Abram said, Behold to me, thou hast given no seed, and lo, no, and, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. Okay, so he doesn't have anybody; he only has Eliezer. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be your heir. 
but he that shall come forth out of your own bowels shall be your heir. And he said unto him, and he said to him, and he brought him forth abroad and said to him, look now toward heaven and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, so shall thy seed be. And he believed God and he believed in the Lord and he counted it to him for righteousness. And he said unto him, verse seven, I am the Lord that brought thee out of the earth of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? And the very next statement, he says, take a heifer, which basically means I'm going to cut a covenant with you. So the question is, how do God says, I'm going to give you this. And his answer, like many of us is, how do I know? Uh, this is impossible. I'm an old man. My wife is an old man. I don't have an army with me. I don't have sons with me. Do you understand? He has 318 people, but you know what I mean? Like he's looking and saying, how on earth are you going to cause me to inherit this entire land with all these tribes and all these giants and all these things? You're telling me something that to my understanding and eyes is impossible. How many times have God's given us a promise, Reverend Taylor, and we look at our natural circumstances and we say, thank you for telling me, but there is just no way that this can happen. This is impossible. My understanding and my eyes cannot see a way through what you're saying to me. We all feel that, don't we? When you're diagnosed with cancer and the doctor says you're going to die, hypothetically, and God says to you in his word, he doesn't have to appear to you, he says it to you in his word, I'm the God that healeth thee. Your mind and your understanding says this is not possible. There are things in my body that are eating my organs. People that are like me have died. There is no cure. There is no hope. What do you mean? He's a, it's the same thing that we feel. Yeah. He's looking at God and saying, you're telling me this, but how do I know that I can take you at your word? How do I know that I can believe you? You're saying, I'm going to give it to you, inherit. And how does he respond to him in verse 8? He said, Lord, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? In other words, you're telling me something, but I don't know. How can I really believe you? How can I know that you'll keep it? You'll keep your word to me. I think all of us face that basic question in life. How can we know that we can trust God? That he'll do exactly what he said he'll do. And the answer comes back. Take a heifer. In other words, I'm going to cut a covenant with you, boy. And by this blood covenant, you're going to be able to trust me that I will never break my word to you. Because, of course, when you in the natural cut a covenant with another human being, it is a blood covenant. It is it is. If you break it, you die. They kill you. I mean, there is nothing greater in the human race than a blood covenant. It is the epitome of trust. If you cut a blood covenant with somebody, you trust them to the death. And God is saying, if I cut this covenant with you, you'll be able to trust me to the death. And then you'll know that what I tell you, you're going to inherit something, you're going to actually inherit it. Because I can't break it. If I cut a covenant with you, I would have to die to not keep my word. And I'm God and I can't die. So therefore, it is a guarantee that what I told you is going to come to pass. So the answer to doubt, the answer to questioning, the answer to God, can I really trust you, is covenant. So if you understand that you have been given a covenant with God, you never have to have a faith problem again for the rest of your life. If you understand that you've got a covenant with God, you never have to ask him, can I really trust you? Do you really mean it? Is your word really true? Are you really going to do this? Circumstances dictate otherwise. Can I really trust you? You don't have to ask that if you truly understand what covenant is. Because if you understood what covenant is, you would understand that for God not to heal you, 
assuming that you're doing your part. For God not to heal you would cause God himself to disintegrate. God cannot be killed. God cannot lie and he cannot die. The universe would disintegrate if God lied. Because he upholds it by the power of his word. So if he covenanted something with you, you can do your nonsense and not receive the benefits of that covenant. But if he covenanted with a human being and the human being did nothing outside the bounds of that covenant and God broke the covenant himself, the entire universe would disintegrate instantly and God himself would disintegrate. But can God die? Can the universe disintegrate? No, because he upholds it with the power of his word. So as ludicrous as it would sound to say God himself could die is as ludicrous as it is to say he won't supply your need. As crazy as it sounds to say God himself could disintegrate is as crazy as it would be that if you get cancer, Gloria, and you do the right thing within the bounds of the covenant, as crazy as it is to say God would disintegrate, it's the same craziness to say that you won't be healed. This is the power of covenant that we're talking about. You've got to get this down on the inside of you. If you really understand what the covenant means, it guarantees you answers. That's why you can hold him to his word when you tithe because it's a covenant act and he has to help you. If he doesn't, the word would fail, the universe would fail, and he would fail. The problem is Christians move outside the bounds of the blessing of that covenant by their disobedience and their doubt. So he wants to do his part, but you're not in the position to receive it because your disobedience puts you over here. Your wrong speech put you over here. Your wrong actions put you over here. Your doubt and unbelief moved you outside the spout. But he is never at fault. So anytime you hear of a Christian dying, don't you ever blame God because what you're doing is you're saying he's a covenant breaker. He cannot break covenant. It's impossible. It's absolutely an impossibility for him to break covenant. So if you see a Christian not receiving the benefits of the covenant, you know it's on their side. It could not be on the Father's side. So don't you ever judge God by some other Christian's experience. You don't know what they've done or what they haven't done. You don't sit with them and know the internal workings of their heart. You don't see the opportunities God gave them that they rejected. You don't see if they're putting the word into practice. Or if they're only saying it at church when they go home and a sewer of doubt and unbelief comes out of their mouth and then you say, wow, they're such good Christians, why won't they get it? You can't judge because you don't see them. Don't you judge God because they put on a religious show and you think that they deserve it more than anybody. You don't know what you don't know what they, who they really are. But one thing you do know is who God really is. And God will never break it. Never, he'll never break it. My God. So all the onus is on me. Not on him because he can't break it. He's God. I can disobey, remove wrong position. I can fail. He can't fail. Are you with me? How do I know I can trust you? I'm going to cut covenant with you. Once I cut covenant with you, there's no more questions, Abram. I guarantee you this will happen. So the answer to doubt and unbelief is covenant. Are you with me? And he says, take the heifer three years old and a she-goat of three years old and a ram of three years old and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. Why were they three years old? Because the purpose of these animals' existence was to be a sacrifice. That's why they had to be three. 
That was God's number. Jesus' purpose was to be sacrificed. That's why his ministry was only three years old. He couldn't go into the fourth year of his ministry because he, conf- he would not satisfy the requirement of God's number. Sacrifices always had to be three years old. So his purpose, now he lived more than three years old, but he ministered. The reason he lived was not to be a carpenter. The reason he existed was to be the, the prophet of God, the prince of heaven on the earth. That was his purpose on the earth, not to be a carpenter. He was in prep time. But his real purpose came when he stepped in to that ministry place. And according to Jewish law, you couldn't be a rabbi until you were 30. And Jesus wasn't going to violate the, the law of the Mosaic law. He wasn't going to violate that because he came to fulfill the law, not to break the law. So he had to wait till he was 30 according to Mosaic law. But because he was the lamb and the lamb could have had to be three years old in its purpose, he could only minister three and some change because his purpose was that lamb. Are you with me? You following me? Because people say, well, why did he not minister 10 years? Why did he not minister five years? Because he was the lamb and the lamb had to be three. In its purpose. It was born for the purpose of sacrifice, so it was three. Jesus was born for the purpose of being the, the, the rabbi, the preacher, the prophet. So even though he only stepped into it at 30, his ministry was only three. Are you following me? Are you learning hopefully something? And he took unto him all these and divided them in the midst and laid each piece one against the others, but the birds he divided not. I won't get into all of it, but remember Leviticus 14, there was that one bird that he killed and the other bird that he didn't because it represented resurrection. And so he did not divide the birds, even though the birds died, because it's symbolic of the resurrection of Jesus. I won't get into all of that. But the point is he takes these animals, five of them, except the birds he doesn't divide that way. He takes the other three and they didn't just cut their throat like you see on the movies. They actually, from the back of their head, along their spine, down to their rump, they would cut right through the body and they would separate the body. It was a separation. And they would place one half of the body here and one half of the body there. And they would put them like this to make a path. They were the boundaries of a path. And the blood would flow into that path. And then the person that is cutting the covenant would walk through a path of blood. I know it sounds gory, but that's what happened in the Old Testament. They would walk through a path of blood. Now, let me keep reading and then we'll keep going a little bit. And when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abram drove them away. What's happening, Reverend Greg? He's doing this act of cutting. The blood is there. The path is there. But the birds are now coming because they're smelling the the meat. And the birds are not supposed to be eating. This is God's holy covenant. They're not supposed to be taking nibbles at it. So he has to shoo those birds away. This is prophetic because it's a picture and type of what Jesus was going to do. Abram had to watch over the covenant ceremony and ensure that it was fulfilled perfectly. And birds eating it is not part of that. Do you understand? He was vigilant to protect the ceremony. Jesus was vigilant when he was tempted to have the cup pass. He was vigilant to say, not my will, but thy will be done. Jesus was protective of the ultimate covenant cutting ceremony, which was in his own body and his own blood. 
As Abram made sure that the covenant was, that the ceremony, the ratification ceremony wasn't violated, Jesus also was vigilant, Jenny, to make sure that the ultimate covenant cutting was not violated. When he could have called 12 legions, he didn't. Because if he had of, the covenant would have been aborted. So you see the vigilance of Abram keeping that covenant ceremony free of interference to make sure that it was fully fulfilled. Jesus was vigilant to make sure that he saw through his death right to the end. Praise God. Now have a look at the next verse. And when the sun, verse 12, was gone, going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and lo, and horror of great darkness fell on him. Why does it say this? Abram is symbolic. It's symbolic of the life of Jesus. It's a, it's a prophecy. It's foretelling. Jesus was also, when he came back, You know what we read in the Bible? When he gave his life, he fell into a deep sleep because deep sleep in the Bible represents in the symbolic of death. Remember 1 Corinthians 11? You're weak, sickly, and those among you sleep because sleep is often symbolic of death. Abram fell into a deep sleep because Jesus was also going to fall into a deep sleep called death. Abram had the horrors of darkness come upon him because Jesus had the horrors of darkness fall upon him and his spirit went down into the caverns of hell and he was separated from God the Father spiritually. He had to go to hell and taste death, not just death, but the punishment of death, which was hell. Separation from God. He had to taste it so that you would never taste it. So Jesus went through a dark horror for a short time when he was in the underworld. And that's why it says, Abram, the dark horrors fell upon him. It's symbolic of the life of Jesus. Do you see the, the prophetic tone here? Now he starts talking to him, verse 13, and he's telling him about what's going to happen in the future, but that he'll be fine. I want you to hit verse 17. He's starting to talk to him about his future and his life. Remember, this is the covenant-keeping ceremony. This is the cutting of covenant ceremony that is happening here. Now look at verse 17. And it came to pass. So what has Abraham done? He's cut these animals. He's laid them opposite each other. The blood has filled the path, but Abraham is supposed to be the one to walk through the path, right? But Abraham doesn't walk through the path. Abraham is deep sleep. Symbolic of Jesus dying and going to hell with deep horrors on him. But somebody came to walk through that path and it wasn't Abraham. Look at verse 17. And it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. In the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying unto thy seed, have I given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. And it goes on and on and on and on. Do you understand what's happening here? You, you want to know by how you're going to trust me? Go, go kill those animals. I'm going to cut a covenant with you because I'm going to come. I'm going to become one with you. Then you can take me at my word because if I fail you, I have to die. And I'm God, I can't die and I can't fail. So it guarantees the covenant. Now, let me explain to you, this is, this is, that was the, the, the bigger picture, but let me give you the, the real symbolism of what's happening here, even more than what I preach at Pazinanti's church. Jesus came in the appearance of a smoking furnace and a burning lamp. That was Jesus, the pre-incarnate Christ. Yeah. 
So, Reverend Greg, the animals are there. The path of blood is there. Abraham is supposed to be walking through the path of blood, cutting covenant with God, but, but he's not. He's in a deep sleep, and a burning lamp and a smoking furnace, Jesus himself, in the pre-incarnate form, meaning any time he came in the Old Testament before coming in bodily form was called the pre-incarnate Christ. He comes and Jesus himself walks through between those pieces and his, blood, his feet are covered in that blood. Now, why is this so important for the believer to understand? And I'm going to try to say it in very simple, because I could read you commentaries about it, but it, it will confuse you. So I'm going to try to say it in layman's terms. You got to understand something. When we think about covenant, Reverend Cola, what we normally think about is blessings. Yeah. You think about Deuteronomy 28. Yeah. Bless your bees in the field, and bless your bees, all the blessings. But if you really understand covenant, before they focused on the blessings, they focused on curses. The curses are listed second in Deuteronomy 28. But if you understand what the covenant really was and how they actually did it, what they would do is this, and it's very simple and you need to understand it. When they would cut that covenant and kill those animals, the death of those animals represented, the bloodshed represented the curse, the result, death, that would come to anybody that broke that covenant. That's why they killed the animals. Do you understand? It wasn't enough just to cut the wrist because that wasn't sufficient enough. God wanted people to truly have a visual and physical feeling. They felt the blood on their toes and on their feet. He wanted them to see it. He wanted them to smell it. He wanted them to, to, to touch it and feel it. He wanted them to have the experience, a gory experience, but a powerful experience to do this one thing. You walk, if you're cutting covenant with somebody, you walk through the trail of blood. And as you walk, look at the gruesome sight to your left and to your right. These animals has been split down their spine. This death with the shedding of blood represents the punishment and the curse of the covenant to anybody that breaks it. As they are walking through the trail of blood, they are pronouncing the oaths of the covenant. I will do this. I will do this. I will do this. They also start to pronounce the blessings of the covenant, but very importantly, they pronounce the cursings of the covenant. If I break this covenant, let what has been done to these animals be done unto me. That's really what they're saying. If I break this, this holy thing, I call upon the curse of the covenant. What is the curse of the covenant? Death. I call upon the curse to come unto me, lest I break this holy thing. And when you're smelling it, and you're feeling it, and you're seeing it, and you're hearing it, it becomes very real to you. It's not the same to us because we're just sitting here in a suit. But when you're walking through a trail of blood, you're looking at animals that have been split apart. You're seeing and smelling the horrors of this act. It becomes very real to you. If I break this covenant, I call upon myself the curse of this covenant. Let the death that came on these animals come on me if I be so bold as to break it. That's what they were doing. Now, why was it so imperative that Abraham did not do that? If God had allowed Abraham to walk through the pieces... 
I need you to understand something. Abraham would have been calling upon him the curse of the covenant should the covenant be broken. And the curse of the covenant is not just physical death. The curse of the covenant is eternal separation from God himself. Do you understand? When a person cuts covenant with another person and they call upon themselves the curse of the covenant, which is death, because you're not a, like you're not a God and I'm not a God. If I break covenant with, with Victoria, I die. But I just die. It's just two humans that are going to die. The, 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 the aggressor dies. But when you're cutting covenant with God, See, now I've, eterned, I've, been, I've been, I'm now permanently separated from you, Victoria, because I die. You never see me again. But when you cut covenant with God and you say, let the curse come upon me that I would die if I break it with you, what does that mean? It doesn't just mean you physically die. It means you are eternally separated from that covenant keeper because you're not just dealing with a human, you're dealing with God Almighty. So if the curse of the covenant comes on you for breaking it with God, it means you can never be near God again in all existence. Do you understand this? If Abraham had crawled upon himself the curse of the covenant and walked through the blood, Abraham and the Jewish nation would have been lost for eternity. Because inevitably, they are going to break the covenant by the first sin that they commit. And as soon as you break that covenant, you have now called upon yourself the very curse of that covenant, which is death, and not just physical death, eternal separation from the one you cut the covenant with. And if it's only a human, it's just physical death. But if it's with God, it's now spiritual death because you can never reach God again for all eternity. Are you catching this? I know it's deep, but I'm trying to help you to understand it. This is why, thank God, God did not allow Abraham to walk through the pieces himself. It had to be Jesus. Jesus walked through the pieces. What was, why did he do that? Jesus was saying, Father, I am a substitute for him and for the whole race of Jews. Remember, this is not for the Gentiles, this is for the Jews. I'm a substitute for him. I'm going to cut covenant with you. You're cutting it with me. I'm cutting it with you by me walking through these pieces. What does this mean? Father, if the covenant is broken by this guy or any of his descendants, I will take the curse of the covenant instead of him. Do you understand what this means? Do you understand what this means? Jesus is saying, I call upon myself the curse of death if this is broken. And I know, Father, it will be broken because they will break it. They'll probably break it before the end of tomorrow because they're humans. They'll break it thousands and millions of times. And therefore, the curse has to come on somebody because of the breaking of the covenant. Are you listening? What is the curse? Eternal separation. Jesus was saying, let me die for him. And it's not just die. Let me be separated from you for him. This is the power of this. Jesus called upon himself the curse of eternal separation from God. When he walked through that, 
Yeah. Now, why did he have to do it? Because if Abram did it, Abram would have been eternally separated. Right. The Jews would have been lost. God didn't want to lose his children. It had to be through Jesus. Jesus is the only one. So there's, a, there's, a, there's wording that you have to really carefully understand. There's a difference between the word fail, and there's a difference theologically, and the difference between the word break. Fail and break are not the same. Do you understand? Something can break, but it not fail. What Jesus was saying is, I'm cutting covenant with you, Father. And the covenant that I cut, right now I'm talking with Abraham and the animal blood. I'm cutting covenant. So when they break it, spiritual death and eternal separation from you comes on me. But because I'm cutting it, not him, and I'm God, it can't fail. But it can be broken. Why can it be broken? Because it's based on blood. The blood that it was based on was animal blood. Animal blood was good in that it was innocent because an animal's innocent. But it was bad in that it wasn't perfect because it's tainted with the sin nature. Not that animals sin, but they're in this atmosphere and the, and the, and the atmosphere is contaminated with sin. So Jesus is saying, this covenant can't fail. If it was with Abraham, it would have failed. It can't fail because I'm part of you, I'm God. So it's, it's not going to fail, but it is going to be broken. Why is it going to be broken? It's going to be broken because it's based on lesser blood. Now listen to me and I'll help you. Sin had the power to destroy animal blood. Sin was stronger than animal blood. So he says, this is being done in animal blood. But because I'm doing it, it can't fail. But because it's animal blood, it can break. Are you listening? So when they break it, it it's not a perfect covenant because it can be broken. So that is why it can't be an eternal covenant. Because it's imperfect because it can be broken because the power of sin is stronger than animal blood. When it's broken, it has to be renewed on the day of atonement every year when the high priest goes into the Holy of Holies and sprinkles blood. Then the sins are covered of what they did for that year. And now for a whole 365 days, they're okay with God. But they're going to break it again. So for the whole nation of Israel, the millions of sins that have been committed in that year, all of that was now taken care of with the animal blood. Do you understand? It was not a failing covenant because it was with Jesus and God, but it was a breakable covenant because the power of sin was stronger than the power of animal blood. So it wasn't a perfect covenant and it had to be renewed every year. It wasn't an eternal covenant. And it wasn't a free covenant because works of the law had to be done. Do you understand? Legalism. All these things had to be done to earn things. And I didn't say this last time or at Pastor Nancy's church, but it's not just three. It's actually four. It wasn't perfect because it could be broken by the power of sin because it's animal blood. It wasn't eternal because it had to be renewed. It wasn't free because there had to be works involved and it wasn't open. It was selective for the Jewish race only. That's why in Hebrews it says, a lesser covenant with lesser promises. Now, Jesus says, Father, I'm walking through the blood of these animals, but I'm cutting it with you. He's just sleeping. I'm cutting it with you. 
Now, Father, when they break it, and they will, let the cost, let the price, let the curse of this covenant, which is a t- separation from you, death, which means separation from you, let it come on me. I will be separated from you so that they don't have to be. And from now, that moment when he walked through it, until the day that I hang upon the cross, all that time, all those hundreds, thousands of years, let them, it's not perfect, because the power of sin can break animal blood. It can't fail, but it can break. So as it breaks every year, let the animal blood restore it. Let it restore it every year. It's not eternal because it has to be repeated. It's not free. They're going to have to do all this legalism. And it's not open. It's only for those that are part of this race. But, Father, I'm coming. This is the glory of the gospel, my brother and sister. This is what Paul calls the mystery that was hidden in God for centuries. What I'm telling you is the mystery. This is what the devil couldn't figure out. Thank God he couldn't figure it out because he would not have crucified the Lord of glory if he had figured this out. This was the mystery hidden in God. God says, I must be satisfied. I'm perfect. The devil will never be able to take me to a court of law and tell me that I was wrong. So it has to be a blood that is not human, animal, or tainted. It must be divine blood because that's the only thing that is, that is perfect. So God has a dilemma. How do I get perfect blood, which satisfies divine justice, but how does that happen through a human being? Because it can't be God and divinity, and it can't be an angel. It has to be somebody of the same species as the one that failed. How do I find a perfect man that has divinity, but also a human being that satisfies human nature? This is the, this is the mystery. And God comes up with a solution, Lorenzo. I'm going to give my son to that race. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to impregnate a woman that has never happened before or since. Because the bloodline comes from the father's side. And I'm going to cause by my spirit, my divine seed to go in her womb, which will create a human baby with divine blood. The blood is perfect, but he's still human. He qualifies to cover humanity because he was born into this earth out of a woman. But he qualifies to be divine because the blood is perfect. But the first sin he would ever commit would taint that blood. So Jesus, not as a divine man, he had divine blood, but he did not have divinity, emptied himself, the Bible says, of his divinity. He came just like you, Wayne, tempted in all respects, just like you, with the help of the Holy Ghost, just like you, yet every time sin knocked on the door, he said, no. He had perfect blood, but he also chose to live by the help of the spirit and the help of the word a perfect sinless life now he is fully human he qualifies for the species of humanity and he is fully perfect because his blood came from the father and it has the power to overcome sin are you does it lorraine does this this is this is this, this is it my brother and sister This is the foundation core of what you believe. And it's sad that most Christians don't understand this. Then he comes and now he's ready for the cross. 
Now he knows what's going to happen. And so he says, Father, I am that lamb. And as they split those animals, they're going to split me open too. And as the priest sprinkled seven times the number of perfection, I'm going to shed seven times the number of perfection. And Lord, Father, now this is powerful. I am now going to cut a covenant with you. That was the foretaste, the type, and the shadow. This is the reality, the substance of that shadow, and the reality of that type that happened with Abraham. I'm coming back in the fullness of time, and I will cut another covenant with you like I did before, but this covenant is different. Because they didn't take a ram. They took me, Father. They broke me. They split me apart. My blood flowed in Caiaphas' house, in the Garden of Gethsemane, in the Praetorian guard room where they whipped him, in Pontius Pilate's palace where they put the crown of thorns. They put on the Golgotha with his hands and his feet and his side. My blood is going to flow. I will walk through my own. I don't think you understand this. When they put the crown and the blood fell on the ground, what do you think Jesus was thinking? He was walking. He didn't have shoes on. He was walking through his own blood. When they whipped him, the floor would have been covered in blood. And when they dragged him through that, he would have been walking or dragged through his own blood. He literally walked through his own blood. And he hung on a tree. And he said, Father... I, I'm paraphrasing, but this is what was happening. I am the lamb. Yeah. Now, Father, you remember back with Abraham, Father? I called upon me the curse of the covenant should they break it, which was eternal separation from you. I've come back to make good on my promise. Somebody had to die. Somebody didn't just have to die. They had to be separated from God. Yeah. I have come to be separated from you. I've come to pay that curse. I've come to pay that price. So I am here to do it. But Father, there's good news. I'm not doing it with a ram's blood. I'm doing it with my perfect, holy, sinless blood. And as the sin had power to destroy animal blood and to break the covenant, now sin cannot have power over my blood. That is why this covenant, the born again experience is a perfect covenant because it was not based on me. It was based on him. And as the covenant could not fail earlier with Abram, it still cannot fail because it's with Jesus. But as it could be broken because their sin was stronger than animal and had to be repeated. Now the blood is stronger than sin. So when it was shed, it becomes a perfect, unbreakable covenant that can never be altered. It can't fail and it can't be broken. The covenant is perfect. Sin cannot overcome it. The covenant is eternal. It never has to be repeated. It was done once for all eternity. The covenant is free because now he says, you are saved by grace through faith, not of yourselves, 
It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It's free, Father. They don't have to do all their religious things. They don't have to do what the Old Testament did. All they have to do is say, by faith, I receive. And it's open. Not just a Jew anymore. Not just Eleazar the Syrian who by circumcision entered into that covenant. Now it's open to every human being on the planet, Jew or Gentile alike. And because it's a spiritual covenant, you don't have to be physically circumcised because that's not the seal like the Abrahamic covenant. Now you just have to receive the Holy Ghost who comes in you when you're born again. That is why Paul withstood Peter to the face. Because Peter was getting into gross error. And he was saying, if you're not circumcised, you're not really saved. And he's saying, what are you talking about? The circumcision was under the lesser covenant. And it was the seal that you were in covenant. But now the seal is the spirit of promise. When you're born again, the Holy Ghost comes in and he confirms that you are in covenant. It's not physical circumcision. It's circumcision of your heart. And the blood, that animal that could break it, now it can't break it. Now it's perfect, it's eternal, it's free, and it's open. My God. My God, my God, this is my covenant. And when he died, lo, a great horror of darkness fell upon him. And he descended into the underworld. And some other denominations refute this and they're completely wrong if Jesus didn't go to hell guess where you're going some people they have a hard time the same denomination that preaches Jesus didn't become sin he just took sin preaches he didn't go to hell if Jesus just took your sin guess what sin is still his power he had to become it he had to become a snake if Jesus didn't taste eternal separation, which is death, you would have to taste eternal separation. But Jesus, by his own blood, the ultimate sacrifice, said, Father, I cut covenant with you for every human being. This is the fulfillment of calling upon the curses of the covenant of Abraham. They broke it. I'm here to pay their price. I'm going to die and be separated from you so that they don't have to. But because it's in my blood, it can't be broken. That means it is perfect. It can never has to be repeated. It is free and it is open. This is called the new covenant in my blood. And any human being that accepts the blood by the born again experience enters into that divine covenant. He didn't cut it with you, Greg. He cut it with Jesus. If he cut it with you, it would fail. But he cut it with Jesus and you enter in through Jesus and become a partaker of what Jesus offered you. That is why if you understand this and meditate on it, you can lift up your hands when you feel something go in your body, you can lift up your hands and say, Father, I thank you that you allowed me to enter into the covenant with you because of Jesus' blood. It's perfect. In other words, nothing I've done can break it. It's eternal. It's open and it's free. I don't have to walk up steps on my knees. I don't have to beat myself because it's free. Now, Father, I've entered into a covenant through the holy blood of your son, which was greater than that ram's blood with Abraham. This covenant gives me the right for whatever you said is mine for it to be mine. And if it doesn't come to me, then you're a violator of the covenant and you would have to die. 
But that's not possible. So the only violator could be me. But I come washed by the blood, living according to the confines of your word, and I present myself to you as a blood-bought child, and because I've got this thing here that this doctor says is going to shorten my life, I call upon the power of the covenant right that I have. I call upon the blood of Jesus. Let your healing power that is part of my covenant right, because of that blood, let it flow now into me. In fact, let your very healing life flow into me. And because life is in the blood, I apply your blood to this liver. And I thank you that your life in that blood flows in me because it's a covenant right. And it's not if I will get healed, it's when I will get healed. I can't die, I can't fail because I am in covenant with God who is greater than me. Amen. Anybody that gets that down in their heart and actually lives it, they'll be healed. You don't need a healing line. Healing lines are for sinners. Healing lines are not for saints. But we give it to saints because they're ignorant and they're, they don't know. And we always have new batches of ignorant ones that don't know. Do you understand? So God helps them by healing lines. But make no mistake, the healing line was not intended for you ever. The healing line is for a sinner far from the covenant with no rights and privileges, no hope in the world, who comes in here in darkness and says, I'm dying of cancer. I don't know God. Come, sir. Stand here. In the name of Jesus, and the power of God goes through them, and as a sign and a wonder, they say, this must be real. And then they bow and join the covenant. But the one that's already in covenant, why are they up here? They're only up here because they don't know what the covenant holds. They haven't appropriated it. If they knew what it was and they had appropriated it, they'd never come up because at home they'd be saying, Father, I partake of the blood of Jesus. I partake of covenant rights and the power of God would hit them at home, heal them of the cancer at home and they'd come here rejoicing, sharing testimonies. Instead, we have churches all over the world full of people that don't know these rights, so they're desperately coming up for healing like they're trying to impress God, beg God, oh God, oh God, pleading with God. And it's, God looks at them and shakes his head and says, it's your right, son. But because nobody will teach you, I'll let my minister lay hands on you and I'll heal you in my mercy. But I wish you'd go home and figure out who you are. And claim this at home. Because I'll do it at home for you. Let this altar be filled with heathens, Gentiles, far from the covenant, that have no hope. Let them come and see the power of God so they can bow their knee and enter the covenant. The rest of you covenant folks should already have this. Now don't get offended with me. I'm not saying that you can't come up for a healing line. But I am trying to challenge you to say, grow up. Grow up. Understand that Jesus cut it for you. Not only can it fail, but it can't break now. So what happens? If it can't break, the power of sin could break animal blood. But we still sin today. I mean, Taylor has sinned many times today already. (laughs) We won't even talk about Reverend Greg. We'll just focus on you, Taylor. The power of sin could break animal blood. The power of sin can't break Jesus' blood. So our covenant right now can't fail and can't break. But does that mean we can't sin? No, no. It can't break the covenant. It doesn't have to be renewed every year. The covenant is strong because it's in his blood. His blood is stronger than my sin. But if I do sin, 
I remove myself, not from the covenant. I remove myself from the blessings of the covenant. He wants to pour it, but I'm not standing where I'm supposed to be standing. I'm standing over here because I won't tithe. I'm standing over here because I won't forgive. I'm standing over here because God's called me to go and do something and I won't obey him. So I'm still in covenant. I'm still going to heaven. But all the blessings and, and benefits of the covenant that are mine, God's trying to give it to me. But where, where is Craig? Where is Craig? Oh, he's over here because he's an idiot. He's, he's sinning all the time. He's acting like a fool. He's acting like an idiot. That's what an idiot does, an ignoramus. He won't obey me. I want to bless him. But I can't pour my blessing out when you're wrong. How could that would be a violation of the covenant? So he's looking and nobody's receiving. And so then, then Craig over here says, Father, my sin has taken me out of position. But my covenant didn't break. Because it's on the blood of Jesus. I don't have to go to some priest and confess my sin. Because it was based on the blood of Jesus. So all I have to do is say, Father, I confess it and I repent. 1 John 1, 7, if we walk in the light as he in the light, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What do we do? We have to confess our sin, not in condemnation, not groveling. Father, I missed it. And immediately the power of his blood, which is stronger than my sin, Nigel. My sin can't break his blood. I confess it and immediately his blood goes, shoo. See, in the Old Testament, they confessed it and his blood went zoop. But then it wanes. Now that sin's there in front to God. So the next year, the blood of an animal goes zoop. And after 365 days, it's diminished. But with Jesus' blood, when you confess, it doesn't go like this. It goes... It's gone. And that act of humility... Because when you don't repent, it's an act of pride. That act of humility, obeying the covenant blood to wash it away, immediately takes you from there right back to here. And now you're positioned. That's why this doctrine that you don't have to repent is so dangerous. Because then when you sin, you're outside that. He can't help you properly because you're outside it. And yet they're saying, well, Jesus' blood was enough to pay for all your sins, which is true. So you don't need to repent, which is false. Yeah. So what, what it does is it insults the blood of Jesus because the blood of Jesus can't do its job. Yeah. Yeah. And they can't operate properly in the covenant blessings. Yeah. It's a gift. Forgiveness is a gift. You can only receive a gift if you receive it by faith. Right. So when Jesus paid for all your sins, but when you receive Jesus, you receive eternal salvation. And that is, that is at that moment. If you sin the next day, the gift has already been provided for all the sins you'll ever, but you can't receive the gift of forgiveness unless you receive it by faith. So when you sin, you say, Father, I confess, let me receive by faith the gift of forgiveness. And he gives it to you and the blood washes it away and you're right back to where you are. But if you don't do that, you don't receive the gift of forgiveness, which means you stay wrongly positioned. Do you understand? So now this is why the Catholic doctrine is such an affront to Jesus. Because, let me explain something to you and then we'll close. Oh, it's 21 I've got nine minutes. Praise God. Let me explain something to you and then we'll close. When Jesus died, okay, when Adam, when Abraham did this covenant, this is what happened. This is amazing. God said, mm, I've got a, 
an unfailing covenant because it's with my son, but it's with not so good blood. So the power of sin will break that blood and they're gonna have to keep doing this over and over and over and over and over again. And it's not perfect and it's not eternal and it's not free and it's not open. So there's all these negatives to the covenant, but at least with Jesus, it can't fail. So they're not gonna be lost for eternity. But when Abraham dies, his blood has been covered. His blood has not been removed. His sin has been covered. His sin has not been removed. So God has a problem. The blood of the animal has covered the sin in his life and in his death. So I can't have Abraham come to heaven because his sin is still there. It's just covered. I can't have him come into my presence. I can't have him walk the streets of glory and see the angels and see all the stuff I've got here because even though it's covered, it's still there. And I can't have sin in my presence, so what am I going to do with this guy? He is in covenant with me that can't fail because of Jesus, so he's not lost for eternity. He's broken it, but it's been covered by animal blood. But I can't have him come live with me because sin's still present. So what am I going to do? I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to create a place called paradise. It's part of hell, if you study theology. There's seven levels of hell. It's part of hell, but there's a great gulf between the tormenting part of hell and paradise, which is a place of peace. And Jesus, when he gave the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, remember the rich man was in hell and Lazarus was in paradise called Abraham's bosom, where all Old Testament saints that died in faith went because the sin covered them but didn't remove them. And he said he could see the rich man afar off with a great gulf between them in the flames in torment. So people in paradise could see the people in torment. It's still part of the underworld, but it's a place of peace. Why did God put them there? He can't take them to heaven, Nigel, because they're still at sin. But he doesn't want them to be tormented because they're not lost. So he has to create a new place for them, a temporary holding tank. That's why if you listen to my sermon a year back or so on Easter Sunday, when Jesus died and he went down to hell, he was only in that cavern for a very short period of time because he told the thief, today you'll be with me in paradise. And that day ended at 6 p.m. and he died at 3 p.m. So if you take it literally, he was only there for a short time because he had to go into that cavern, taste death, be in those bars where the bulls of Bashan surrounded him. He had to taste, just taste it. He didn't have a full meal. He tasted what I would have gone through. Then the Holy Ghost broke him out of there. He became the first man who was born again. Remember, he separated from God. Now the Holy Ghost brings him back into relationship with God. His spirit that was alive unto God was separated and now was born unto God a second time, which is why he's called the first born again man. Jesus was born again just like you. People don't realize that. Jesus was born again just like you because he was separated. His spirit was separated, but he became alive a second time unto the Father by the Holy Ghost. And it happened in the caverns of hell. The first born again experience happened in front of Satan himself. I'm not joking you on this. Satan mocked and danced with all his imps as he sat there lying helpless in the prison bars of eternal lostness until the Holy Ghost said, enough! 
my God, if the same spirit that raised him from the dead dwell in you. It was the spirit that raised him and the Holy Ghost came into his spirit. His spirit was there, not his physical body. And the Holy Ghost came and made alive his spirit and quickened him in relationship back to his father. And he stood up born again in hell itself and looked at Satan. Satan himself. And talk about poetic justice. God orchestrated it. So Satan himself would observe the first man being born again. And it torments the devil from this moment for all eternity. And he stood up, born again, filled with the Holy Ghost, and broke out of those bars and walked over to him. Remember it said his, his heel would bruise his head. I take it literally. Yes. Dr. DeFrey had a vision once and he saw Satan on the throne of Jesus and kick him from his head, kick him right in his forehead, bang, and knocked him off his throne backwards. He got a big welt because of Jesus' heel. And he said, give him. What? Give me the keys of hell and death. You no longer have the power. My blood has broken sin, has broken death, and has broken hell. And you no longer have rights. My God, Taylor. And he did all of that, took the keys, and then he says, boys, it's time to preach. You know, you stop that now. I bind that. And then he says, boys, it's time to preach. Jesus got born again, took the keys away. And then he went and preached. You don't realize what happened. In a very short period of time, he went to the angels that came as, at, into physical form and had sex with the woman in, in Genesis chapter 6 and created angelic, part human, part angelic monsters and giants of which eventually Goliath came out of. Why? To block the perfection of the seed lines that Jesus could not be born. And he went to them, the Bible says, in one of the caverns called Tartarus. And it's called Chains of Darkness. And he preached, the Bible says, read it in Titus, he preached to them. And he I don't know what he preached, but I bet you it was something like this. Hey boys, you came and you tried, but I want you to know, I came. You couldn't stop me. Not only did I come, but I've died and I'm the first born again from the dead. And I just want to say, nah, 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 nah. <laughs> it was something along those lines. Hallelujah. I'm not joking you. And then he leaves the kingdom of hell, torment, and he crosses the gulf that he told about in the parable, and he enters into paradise, and that's where the thief was waiting for him. And on that same day, the thief said, hey, Jesus. And he said, hey, I told you I'd see you. Can you imagine Abraham, Moses, Daniel, Nehemiah? Can you imagine David? Can you imagine every saint is there waiting for him, and they see him crossing the gulf? Can you imagine the shouting? And he comes and he says, boys, listen, you've been stuck here. It's like a bad hotel. <laughs> Ever been in a really rotten hotel? And, and you can smell the crimes happening right there. And somebody's being mugged right outside. That's what paradise was like. At least it wasn't torment, but hell's right there. In a bad neighborhood. You're in a bad neighborhood, boys. But you couldn't come to the Father because your sin is not taken care of. But my blood has now removed your sin of every human being that ever lived and every human being that will ever live. So your sin that was covered, hey boys, I got news for you, it's gone. And now you can come see daddy. Oh. Yeah. 
And that's why he took them with him. The graves were opened on resurrection morning. The spirits of the redeemed ones came out and preached the gospel in Jerusalem. Then he says, Mary, don't touch me because I haven't gone to my father yet with my blood. Then he takes all of them up and does his triumphal entry, puts his blood down. He sits down as ratifying the covenant. And God says, here's a robe. And I've sewn into it every name that you've ever overcome. And that's what Isaiah had the glimpse of. And he saw him sitting high and lifted up, sitting upon a throne. And his train was so long, their victory was so overwhelmingly great, it filled the entire inner court. And then Jesus stands up with his robe and says, boys, I haven't preached this to you yet, but I can prove it to you from the Bible. And they walked down the streets of glory having a party. Dancing and celebrating and shouting. And then the very first thing he does is he says, now it's done. It's all done. It's all finished. Now I'm going to give pastors, evangelists, prophets. I'm going to put all the gifts in the body of Christ. Because if I don't, they're just going to get messed up. That's what happened. So can you imagine a Catholic saying, do you understand the insult of purgatory? The insult of indulgences? The insult of praying for the dead? Because what they believe is that when you die, you don't go to heaven right away. You go to purgatory, which is their version of paradise, because you're not good enough to go to heaven. But if you pay money to the Catholic Church, you can lessen their time in purgatory so that they can go to the Father faster. And if you, and when they're there in purgatory, they have to do good works and good deeds in purgatory to earn their passage to the Father. Do you understand what this means, Reverend Greg? What they are saying is the blood of Jesus has been reduced to the blood of animals. The blood of animals was not powerful enough to pay the price, so they had to go to paradise. And the Catholics are saying the blood of Jesus has been reduced to the blood of animals. It is not powerful enough to take you to heaven. Now works, remember, it was on the works of the law, but it's free. Now works have to be, money has to be paid for the blood of Jesus. And if you do this, it's a, talk, about a, talk about a pyramid scheme. Talk about the ultimate financial betrayal give a big offering, and Granny Smith, who hasn't made it because the blood of Jesus isn't strong enough, don't you know? Your $100 will buy her a 1,000 years less there so she can go to Father faster. And they've been doing that for over a 1,000 years in the Catholic Church. It's called indulgences. That's what Martin Luther was fighting against. He was trying to explain to them, you can't buy your way to heaven. The blood of Jesus is sufficient. Do you see what I'm saying? Yes. You don't have to go to a priest and confess. Jesus did it. You don't have to buy an indulgence. It's free. You don't have to do good works and you're not going to purgatory and you're not going to paradise. That's a bad neighborhood. He wants you out of the crime-ridden neighborhood and he wants you with the mansions. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Does that, I hope that helps you a little bit. I want you to remember this the next time you face something. My covenant can't fail. And my covenant can't even be broken. It's based on his blood. I am in because of his blood. That means whatever he promised me, he has to provide or he would have to die. And if I'm not receiving it, it means I am not positioned. Because it has to work. Don't ever blame God. The best way to get separated from the power of God is to start blaming him.
but you don't know this person, Pastor Craig. They were a really good person. You, yeah, I'm sure they were, but you don't know. Because if it's going to come down to them failing or God failing, I can guarantee you it was them failing. Because the covenant is sure. If God provided it, 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 it is available. It is not amb- ambiguous. It's not maybe. It's there. It's up to you to take it. Just most Christians don't reach out and take it properly. Because they'd rather gossip. They'd rather keep their 10%. They'd rather not forgive. They'd rather be at a movie on Wednesday night instead of honoring God. And you say, well, you're talking about payment. I'm not talking about payment. I'm talking about being covenant-minded. I'm not talking about legalism. I'm talking about living covenant-minded. Father, I love you. I'll obey you. I'll do anything you ask me to do. I'm going to mess it many times, but thank God I just turned to you and repent because my power of my sin can't overcome the power of your blood. That's right. Thank God. Isn't that marvelous? Did that help a little bit, honey? Praise God. I know most of our people here are deep theologians and they probably knew all of this already. But for the few that maybe are like me that need some help, well, praise God. I hope it helped you. Hallelujah. Thank God that Jesus walked through the animal blood then and thank God he walked through his own blood at Calvary. I'm free. Glory to God. Amen.